Hello again, everybody, for the first time in a while. Coming at you live on Wednesday, July 18th, is the Steak Sports Podcast. And Farmer Man, it's been a long time. June 6th was the last time How we did doing, one man? of these. Pretty, pretty good. Can't No complaints. A lot of stuff has happened. It's good to be back. While, while we were gone, and we're going to have a lot of stuff to cover today for sure. Um, in that in that little break, we, me and you had a had a lot of stuff uh, that that we did. Um, I had a bachelor more party. so you than me. Yeah, I had a bachelor party um, where Aaron Luckett went in the Florida Bama Hall of Fame. I had got married, which was a good time. Did you have a good time there, Farmer? Yeah, I had a blast, man. Yeah. It was a beautiful ceremony. I didn't realize you had that many friends. I was impressed. <laughs> I didn't either. Like I went out there when I went out to the church in the church the first time, like right before everybody walks out, I was like, "Holy shit, there's a lot of people here." There was um, plenty of food, plenty, plenty of, food. of beers, by uh, yeah. so I was happy. I ran, I ran out of beer by the end of the night, which I told my now wife that would happen when we get all my friends together. All the beer is going to be drank, so it's, everybody had a good time. Uh, had a pretty gnarly hangover the next day, and then. Went to Cabo. I had a good time. That was my first time being in Mexico. I want to be you when I grow up. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that. I came back from uh, from Mexico with a little bit of Montezuma's Revenge. My stomach was... Did you drink the water? No, I didn't drink the water. I think what happened, I might have ate some ice or something that last day when I went to the airport. Uh, but we landed in Atlanta in the layover. We were there for five days. Had a good time. Got some sun. Uh, drank a bunch of margaritas. Ate a bunch of food. Hung out, and then we came home. Sounds like somewhere I like to be. Layover in Atlanta. Which have you ever been to Atlanta Airport? I've been to the Atlanta. I airport. I think the Atlanta Airport is probably like the eighth biggest city in America. Just the airport itself. Yeah, there's a lot of people there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to get around. It's a monster. But anyway, we go to Atlanta Airport. We eat some food. Have like a two or three hour layover, and then as soon as I eat that food, and I'm walking back to our other terminal because it's like nothing but terminals there. And then I was like, oh shit. I do not feel good. <laughs> so I went, went in the restroom, did my thing, and then that whole, the whole next week, all last week, I was sick as a dog. Yeah, I mean, when you're flying around and traveling and you have the stomach bug, that's like the worst thing ever. So yeah, You didn't was, have to sit in the middle seat, did you? No. Luckily, we had uh, either an, I had an, I had an aisle or a window most of the, or the whole, all of my flights there and back. So that was fine. But that, yeah, you hit it on nail on the head perfectly. You do not if you're any if you're sick at all flying it's like the worst thing you could ever do, and that that's something I did full bore there coming back. All this from a Mexican ice cube. That's what I think it was from. I'm not <laughs> sure what, but the whole time I felt I wasn't hungover once the whole trip. Everything was nice, but as soon as I got back, I just got hammered. What goes up must come down. I figured, but a bunch of stuff happened while we were gone. Yeah, you went to the Belmont. How was that, man? Uh, that was pretty cool. It was uh, it was cool to be there, and uh, it kind of reminds me of the Atlanta airport a little bit. Actually, it was shoulder to shoulder people. You absolutely could not move. And I will never go back to the Belmont Stakes. I'm glad I was there because uh, I got to see a Triple Crown winner in person, which is something not a lot of people can say that they've seen. Uh, only a couple hundred thousand people, probably, but uh, just way too many people for me. I mean, I couldn't. You couldn't move. You couldn't walk. You, you couldn't get to the betting window. You couldn't get a drink. It was. I'm sure it wouldn't be as bad if there wasn't a triple crown on the line. But uh, glad I went. But won't be going back. Just size of the track. Is it 
like how much smaller is it than Churchill Downs? Is it's it actually comparable a, to Keeneland than Churchill Downs. It's actually well, the track itself is actually a mile and a half. It's a lot bigger than Churchill yeah, Downs. I just did, like huge. I guess the grandstand and stuff like that. Um, it's bigger than Keeneland. Uh, it's not as big as Churchill. I mean, it's they could probably fit sixty or seventy thousand people in there comfortably. I think they capped off the ticket sales for the Belmont at like ninety five thousand this year. Um. Uh, so yeah, that's probably about twenty, thirty thousand people too many for the space. But I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's not small. I mean, it, you, you can fit a lot of people in there, but just not as many people as were there. Yeah, I could imagine. I bet, and with Justify winning a triple crown, that's you know something that's only happened twice in the last what thirty five years or something like that. Yeah, well, uh, two times in the last four years. Yeah, actually. Well, so well, I was just going big there from <laughs> seventy eight to whenever Farrell won it in twenty sixteen. Yeah, like we talked, ever since they put in this point system for uh, for the Triple Crown races and the Derby prep races, I don't know. You might see more Triple Crown winners because, you know, you have you have just a stronger horses that are getting themselves in position to uh, to run the big races because of this point system that's in place. What were the drink prices, I guess, compared to the Derby and Oaks? Uh, I'd say pretty much similar to Derby and Oaks. Um, you could get... The pours, I'll say this, the prices were the same, but the pours were a lot more stingy at the Belmont, I think, than you would find at the Derby. Um, you usually get a decent, you know, I mean, they charge you a lot more at the Derby, but at least you kind of get a little bit extra. They'll, But the they had these a little... little Southern uh, hospitality. Yeah, they had these little, uh, I'm sure everybody's seen them, these little, like, um, electronic pour stoppers that literally pour. It, it's, it's not a shot. There's no way it's a shot. Um, in into this little glass, and then a, a drink was like thirteen to fifteen dollars. And then if you wanted a souvenir, and this is the other thing, Churchill would give you a souvenir glass at least. If you wanted a souvenir glass at the Belmont, you had to pay like an extra four dollars. So basically, a drink and a souvenir glass that was not uh, strong at all was about eighteen, nineteen bucks. Yeah, so that's why we snuck all of our own in. That's the way to do it. How did the how did the picks go? Any any luck there up there? That's um, I did not do very well at the Belmont this year, uh, and actually I joked with uh, Adam Green from uh, Stake Sports Handicapping as we were leaving the track saying that uh, there's been two Triple Crown winners in the last four years, and I haven't had a dime on one of them on any race between the two of them in the last four years. So I'm just I have a hard time betting the favorites, but um, they started out okay, and then uh, just kind of kind of went downhill from there, and then. Uh, the third graph actually actually picked a couple winners late in the day, but I was so discouraged at that point because of the amount of people and uh, not being able to move and just losing up to that point that I'd kind of stopped paying attention and uh, missed out on a couple licks there at the end of the day. But all in all, it was a very fun trip. I love New York City. It's awesome. Uh, Belmont, it's tough to get when you're leaving. It's just like... It's just like the Derby. It's impossible to get out of there. You have to walk a couple miles away from the track before you can get an Uber. Um, so, you know, glad I went, but glad I got to see the Triple Crown winner, but uh, I'm not, I'm in no hurry to get back to another Belmont. For someone that's never been to the Big Apple, what's one thing you need to see or have to see when you go up there? Um... Well, it's got a, I mean, it's got a little bit of everything up there. I mean, I guess I'm a kind of a history buff, um... One of the things that I thought was the coolest was like the September 11th, like Ground Zero and the September 11th Museum. Definitely recommend checking that out uh, if you ever get a chance to go up there. Um, but it can take, 
you can spend literally eight to 10 hours in that place, just walking around trying to read everything. And I'm just kind of, that that's one of the biggest American history events that I am old enough to actually remember. I mean, I go to Washington DC and you see all these memorials and stuff, but, and you appreciate the history, but when you see something that you actually vividly remember, you know, it's, it's a little bit different when you're reading about it. But I'd say number one on the list is definitely the September 11th museum. And then just, Try to hit as many restaurants and little pubs as you can. They have like twenty four thousand restaurants there, and they're all unique and different. It's it's just a it's a big melting pot, man. It's an awesome city. Yeah, sounds like it. And that's Ground Zero, and that museum's definitely and Central something. Park. You got to hit yeah, Central, Central Park. Park for sure. Well, anyway, while we were gone, uh, Reed Travis made his decision to come to Kentucky, and he's going to be on join a loaded roster and pretty much all the over this past month that we uh, just took off on our little mini vacation, or extended vacation, I should say. All the preseason, the two early polls are coming out, and you're seeing all the national writers come out with their top 25. And not a consensus, but a lot of lot of people are having Kentucky as a preseason number one. What, I, what you're seeing is one, Kentucky, two, Kansas. I believe Gonzaga's right at three, and then Duke at four. And those are the top four, and then you, the, some of them are jumbled up, and d- depending on what top 25 you're looking at. So... Kentucky's going to enter the season. I think Vegas odds just came out, and they're 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 going to be the the betting favorite. I believe it's either them or Kansas, but they're one of the heavy favorites to win the national championship next year. So Kentucky's going to going to have a a loaded roster, is the, the most loaded roster they've had since that 2014-2015 team. So uh, expectations are going to be high uh, for the for that for the basketball club coming up this winter. And, of course, they're going to be about nine deep, as we just said, but they play a loaded schedule. They get Duke in the Champions Classic, which I believe is in Indianapolis. So that'll be the first big test there in November when they Coach K and Cal go off, go at it uh, for the first time since that 2013 season when uh, Duke beat Kentucky in the Champions Classic in Atlanta. Um, of course, that Kentucky team went to the NIT, and that Duke team lost to Louisville and Kevin Ware, uh, the Kevin Ware incident in Indianapolis, Louisville Blue Mountain lead eight on the way to a so-called national championship now, but uh, really just for Kentucky, I think uh, it's been a it's been a crazy time. The Pete Sham just happened, so there's been a lot of recruiting news coming out about um, about James Wiseman, who's the top probably the top recruit in this next class, and a bunch of other guys that sound like Kentucky's in a really good spot um, to land. Uh, the number one class so that talk of Cal like taking a back seat and recruiting I know Jeff Goodman wrote a big article saying that you know Cal or Cal had been beat or been is a step back from K and that's proven not to be the point at least now ever since uh they lost Zion Williamson it seems, it seems like Kentucky's really k- kicking Duke's ass on the recruiting trail and we'll see if that'll um, parlay to the basketball court when the two meet in November and potentially in March. Yeah, things have definitely picked up a little bit because, I mean, there was a while there where the Kentucky fans were freaking out. You know, it seems like every couple of years kind of go through this. Calipari's done. He can't do it anymore. He's got one foot out the door. No, 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 no. And then it just seems like uh, just when just when you think that enough is enough for, for Cal, he, he just – I don't know. He puts his mind to things, and he starts he starts uh, bringing in some good recruits, which makes you think that maybe if he, uh, you know, maybe if he put that much effort into it uh, every year, maybe we could have those kind of recruits. But and it seems like he's putting a bigger emphasis on you know guards that can really shoot the three. So I think that's going to be 
a big thing to look for uh, moving forward. But one thing that I, I don't really think is even getting talked about is that they go to the, I believe it's the Bahamas this year. They have that little tri- overseas trip. That's in like two or th- three weeks, I think. So they're going to be playing games where people are going to get to watch that team for the first time. You're going to get to see all, all these new freshmen. You're going to get to see Reed Travis, and you're going to get to see a sophomore P.J. Washington, a sophomore Quad A. Green in action, sophomore Nick Richards. So we're a veteran team this year with all those sophomores. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Well, well uh, per in the Cal era, that's about a season <laughs> that you're going to get. But, uh, you know, you're going to get to see them and you're going to get to get that those freshmen some experience, and especially with that that uh, tough, tough schedule they've got for next year, especially in the non-conference. You know, when you're playing Kansas, you get Kansas at home. You get North Carolina at a neutral site. You get Duke at a neutral site. So, I always feel like these summer these like summer tournaments that you get to play in every four years are really, really overrated. I just think it's because you're kind of in that lull where, okay, it's all-star break baseball. You know, football season's getting ready to start, but we really haven't had anything to put our time and effort into. And then all of a sudden we have a couple basketball games and everybody's like, oh, you don't realize how much – like I just find it hard to believe that five or six games in August or July, end of July, beginning of August, whatever – Really makes that big a difference. Well, for I think a team it's more the practice the time the than maybe those games. They get especially when you got a team as young as you know Kentucky's teams usually are with all those freshmen. I think getting that practice time that's really um, just kind of gives the the coaches a step up. And I think it's a kind of ridiculous rule that you can only take one of those trips every four years. I think that either let them do it every year, or don't let them do it at all. I think that's another silly NCAA rule. Um, but yeah, but. It's going to be August. There's going to be nothing else on, so that'll be, give the folks around here something to watch as we uh, wait for the football season to, to get here at the end of August. So if they see me drunk in this bar, it ain't over a broken heart. Cause I'm drinking to a country song, to another long work week gone. And I'm raising my glass to a As we roll on here to try to just catch up on all the stuff we've missed since our last podcast, uh, it's been a busy time over here in the, by the University of Louisville. Um, former most outstanding player of the Final Four, although it's questionable whether he gets to keep that trophy or not. Luke Hancock has been in the news a lot, and I mean a lot lately. Louisville had this little, uh, I guess, five-year reunion for uh, their for their so-called national title team down um, down on 4th Street Live downtown. It was just kind of a get-together for the fans, I guess, to just come out and recognize the team and show their respects to the players. I couldn't whatnot. think of a more appropriate place. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's kind of funny. I, that was uh, 
back in my younger days, I, it's definitely, I definitely saw Luke Hancock down there more than a handful of times. Yeah, yeah, I used to frequent that uh, that place. Sorry to say, it's a little embarrassing now, but uh, I actually had the nickname Four Street Farmer there for a while. I was literally going there about five nights a week in college, but... You know, you live and you learn. Those days are past. Yeah. I don't know if uh, you learn much because I don't really remember much of my 4th Street days, even though I was down there very, very often. Uh, but anyway, he they had this little event and it went off. And then after that, it came out that Luke Hancock, along with a four, four, uh, three other players from that Louisville team, Tim Henderson was a walk-on from Louisville, Stephen Van Treese was a reserve big man, and then Gorgie Jang, their, you know, their starting center, uh, maybe the best player on that team, he, and it's playing with the Timberwolves right now in the National Basketball Association, have uh, j- joined in on a lawsuit against NCAA, pretty much suing them for uh, for taking away Luke Hancock's trophy and for pretty much taking away <laughs> taking away their title. And they hired this lawyer, Morgan & Morgan, his firm. I think his first name's John Morgan, maybe. And he's pretty much like, what, what would you say, just like an injury lawyer? Like if you get in a car wreck, he's the kind of guy you call? Yeah, kind of like the hammer yeah. a little bit. He he does the billboards and the tark buses, and the, yeah. uh, the and he's got a hell of a makeup artist. So he's, he's who, usually who going who after is, like but. big insurance companies to get, to get uh, you know, something paid for. Uh, settlements. Yeah, settlements for, for people that are in a wreck or any type of injury or, or whatnot. So... They had this, and they they filed it in Louisville. So they're suing the NCAA or whatnot. And then Morgan, like John Morgan, he had this big speech, I guess, during the uh, the the court session. Pretty much was, <laughs> I mean, it was something. He pretty much said uh, the NCAA had was had the one and done rule, and it was their fault. Uh, he said a bunch of other stuff. So my my question is what. So there's five players involved in this lawsuit. Four, four I think. If you've got Hancock, Van Trees, Henderson, and then Jang, that's four. So can we assume that every other player besides those four or five knew what was going on? Because I mean, I I honestly believe. And Mike, it was five. Mike Mara was a fifth, so it's five total players. I'm not. I don't know. I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know. When you play college sport, especially on a team that's like a championship level team. Almost everybody knows everything about everybody on the team. I mean, it's, it, you spend so much time with the guys on the practice court and, you know, in hotels while you're traveling and buses and airplanes. I don't know, man. I just find it hard to believe that some of these guys weren't in on some of it. But, I mean, I guess to me this is kind of like them saying we're the ones on the team who didn't know anything about it. I mean, or else wouldn't wouldn't other people be involved? I mean, if you were on that team, wouldn't you – step up and say, hey, guys, I want to be involved in this too because I didn't know anything about this. I think part of the lawsuit is that they didn't attend any of the parties. They didn't go to any of the events, so they should have, They should still be national champions. They should still have – Just those guys. Yeah, they should. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, So the other guys on the team that aren't participating in this lawsuit, are they? is this them basically admitting that they attended the parties or they knew something about it? It just seems like to me they would want to join in on the lawsuit if they were completely innocent. That's what that, – from an optic standpoint, that is definitely uh, what it seems like, and so it seems like I think Luke Hancock got a little upset because he he said he's called the NCAA and he can't get anybody to call him back. He asked him if he was still like the most outstanding player, you know, because I, I don't know, because he wants that award and he wants yeah. to be able to come back to the Louisville when he's old and probably show his kids and grandkids that 
You know, I won a national championship. And I don't, here. I, I don't blame him at all. Player. Yeah, he's. I'm pretty sure he still lives in Louisville. And I mean, I did hear what he said. You know, he has to walk around. And I'm sure there's you know Kentucky fans out there that bust it, bust his balls and stuff out out in public all the time about all that. And I don't blame him at all for doing this because I don't know. I don't. I just find it hard to believe that he couldn't have known. I mean, especially just being like an integral part of the team like he was. I mean, Final Four MVP, for God's sake. But I don't know. He he sure does uh, – he sure is putting on a case like like he's innocent and he didn't know anything. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, I don't think anything is going to come of it. I think it really is just trying to catch kind of news headlines and stay in the attention and really just trying to go after the NCAA just because they can and they're kind of just trying to – it feels like a move just to keep it in the news, to keep the – the fans uh, involved and to keep people talking about it. And the event, I guess the theory is if you keep knocking on the door, finally the NCAA will change the rules. But my big thing with this issue is that Louisville is a member of the Atlantic Coast Conference. The Atlantic Coast Conference is one of umpteen conferences that are members of the National Collegiate Athletic Association. So as members of the National Collegiate Athletic Association, you sign up to play in a sanctioned National Collegiate Athletic Association sport. And this sport, men's basketball, the National Collegiate, since you signed up to play here, the National Collegiate Athletic Association is pretty much allowed to sanction it. So they so they have a governing body of rules. Now, you, can, you may disagree with those rules. You may think they fudge the lines. You may think they make them up. But when you sign, when, when you're a player and you sign that letter of intent to play for a sport, to play for a school, that's a member of a conference, that's a member of the NCAA, you're kind of, if you're saying if you break rules, you have to accept their punishment. If you don't want to accept the punishment, then you can go somewhere else, but you're not going to have a scholarship unless you do what what the school wants you to do and the school what the school has to do is stay in in line with their conference and the NCAA. So, but if I was Luke Hancock, I would definitely, or let's just say that I really – I actually had no knowledge of what was going on and that my teammates were doing all this stuff. Yeah, I agree. You sign up and you you agree to play by the rules as a team sport, but isn't isn't there also have to be some leeway for the individual who does the right things? I mean, why should a guy who didn't do anything wrong get punished when – it was, you know, it was other people on his team that did the wrong thing. So are you saying, like, they can take it down the banner, but they should still be able to hang up, like, a Luke Hancock, most outstanding player, NCAA yes. Final Four banner? Yeah, something like that. And, again, I, you know, I'm not 100% sure that he's completely innocent, but let's assume for this argument that he is. Yeah, I think if I were him, I'd definitely be pissed off that all this has happened and, and people – you know they they don't respect uh, his his national championship and his national championship ring anymore and everywhere he goes he has to hear about it and yeah i mean he you go from this being one of the greatest things ever to just being a legend i mean final four mvp can come back and any game he wants now every time he comes back to a game i mean yeah their fans are still going to love him and cheer him on because a lot of them are are still like oh well that was our championship you can't take it away whatever but it's always going to have this cloud over it, and if I were him, I'd you know I'd want my name to be cleared in that too because the way the NCAA portrayed it is that every player on that team knew about this and they punished the whole team and the whole program and the coach and everything. So if he was really innocent, then yeah, I would want my name cleared too. I think the NCAA's argument is they've gotten the names, but they never they don't release the names. They just say player A, player B, player C kind of thing. 
So I, I'm guessing they just don't want to, they don't classify it. So if they don't classify it, they're kind of, you know, they don't have to specify who, who is who and whatnot. But I, my point is just when you sign that letter of intent, you're kind of giving up kind of a little bit of rights to what, you know, whether you can stand on, so to speak, the NCAA's got, I guess, kind of that leverage to to, to have on you in case yeah, I got a situation you. like that. Um, so, that I mean, no one's really, other than Jerry Car- Tarkanian and UNLV, no one's really beat the NCAA in court. And Ed O'Bannon's trying to right now, and he's winning on it at a certain extent. So he got that football game taken away. But that's... That 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 had a that was big headlines around here for a few days, and then at the beginning of last week, it all changed when uh, Papa John uh, Forbes came out with an article. Papa John, Papa John Schnatter, the owner of Papa John's Pizza Company, um, who, who's one of the big money guys around the city of Louisville. Pretty much, he hired a firm, and the that he said the M word during a conference call. And the firm leaked the, I guess, the audio to Forbes magazine. Forbes magazine came out with an article saying Papa John used this racial slur. And so now Papa John, Louisville had this big ordeal on their hands. At first, they really didn't say nothing. One of their members of the board of uh, trustees, really, they asked him for a comment. He said pretty much no comment, just walked away. And then a couple days later, after some players started complaining about their stadium being named Papa John's Cardinal Stadium... They uh they came out at the end of the week. The new president at the University of Louisville came out and said they're not going to be Papa John's Cardinal Stadium. They're immediately going to move all all of his uh, names and signing signage and all that type of stuff away. And then it came out later in the I believe earlier this week that Papa John there was a disagreement. He says he's getting blackmailed by this company and that he didn't use the M word. He said they want or he did use the M word, but it was I guess uh. That they they kind of forced him to say it is what his argument is, and that, that the company wanted him to have Kanye West be a Papa John's like uh, for Papa John's to have Kanye West in commercials, and Papa John said he wouldn't do that because Kanye used the M word in his songs. So just that kind of a total mess there in at Louisville, and it just yeah, the, bad look, yeah, all around bad look all around for Papa John and for the university. There's there's no place for that, and I mean you got to be you. Look, as much as we want to uh, think that everything is all sunshine rainbows, there are people out there that are still racist people. And when you're in a position like he is, it, I don't condone even thinking it. But if you know if you are going to be a racist person, you got to be smart enough to not say that in a business meeting or something like that. Because I mean, this has cost him huge. And you know, I, I think I mean, yeah. The action that was taken was proper. I mean, it was swift, and you you got to do that. But man, Louisville—it's just it just seems like it's one thing after another over there. And I know that a lot of fans didn't like Papa John, and you know him and Patino had that fallout, and uh, what it was Patino saying the board of traders or whatever he board of traders. Grissom and the pizza boy who's calling uh, Papa John the pizza boy. (laughs) Yeah, basically he blames Papa John for asking him and the whole deal. I don't know. It's just it's just a mess over there, yeah, man. Yeah, and now uh, Papa John he's in a lawsuit with his board of directors at Papa John's, saying that they acted too swiftly. They didn't give him, I guess, whatever. Well, isn't that interesting? Because that's that's kind of the same argument Patino had. I bet I bet Rick's just sitting down there loving this right now. Yeah, you know he is. So my th- and then at the stadium, there's Papa John's logos all over. 
that entire stadium. You talk about from the, every entrance to yeah, the I scoreboard mean, to the to every, well, not just that stadium. Exit. I mean, any state, not any stadium you go to, but a lot of stadiums that you go to around the U.S. have Papa John's. Some of them serve Papa John's. Small, a bunch of sponsorships. I mean, I mean yeah. down here at Slugger Field, they've got Papa John's stuff everywhere. They serve Papa John's pizza at every game. It, I mean, this could if all these places decide to start pulling the average because and the other thing is i don't think they'll just pull the straight papa john's advertising but i know they're like taking his picture off a lot of the pizza boxes anything with like his image on there because well, he was their mascot so to speak i mean he was the owner but he was their mascot like for McDon- mcdonald's you see ronald mcdonald but for papa john's you just saw papa john's he's all over pizza boxes he's all over commercials he's all over everything so it's gonna be have to be like a total rebrand for that company. Yeah, and I saw that like the the new CEO or whatever made sure to come out and say this is not an individual, this is a company. You know, so he's already trying to save face for all these advertisements yeah, and distance themselves from him. Right yeah, now. yeah. It's I don't know if, if all those places decide to pull all the images and stuff with <laughs> and, and his advertisements, it's gonna be bad for them. She's friendly and fun loving most of the time. But don't ask her on a straight to keep the night. She'll start thinking about him and she's ready to fight. Blames her broken heart on every man inside. On a straight to keep And we'll keep rolling on here on a beautiful July hump day in the Bluegrass State. I'm ready for football season, man. Yeah, we're gonna get. I, mean, into, I cannot wait. We're gonna get into some football talk right now. We're about right around six weeks away. And back when we were doing pods every week, Farmer, I know it's been a while since we since we did that. We uh, I, I came out and I told, I said I was gonna give out my best over season total picks, best over and unders for the college football season. So after doing some research this week, I've got my my answers locked in. I've got five overs and five unders for all you degenerates out there who maybe are sneaking off to Vegas maybe before the football season starts and you want to lay down a bit, or for just those of you who have Bovada accounts and can put something down. So I've got maybe someday soon we'll be able to make those bets from right here. Yeah, right there at uh, on track <laughs> trackside. Oh yeah, or right here. Just have a. <laughs> can you imagine just have your, your neighborhood has its own little sports book each neighborhood. <laughs> Just drive into the sports bar and put a bet in. Oh, man. I hope so. I hope that happens. No reason for it not to. We won't have it. We might not have it, but our kids, them damn son of bitches, maybe they'll probably have it. But anyway, we'll get it. We'll get into it. And it, one day, one day, we'll, it'll be easy to legally bet. But until then, I know all of you listening probably have your way. So do what do what you can. Take the advice. Or uh, or if you want to fade me, fade me. I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't tell, take any offense. Did you say fade you? Fade, like go against my pick. Oh, I don't. I, that's that's new lingo to me. I've oh. never heard that slang before. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> we're, now we're, we're even, we'll even teach. We're even going to teach you some lessons this fall, farmer, on some lingo. <laughs> fade me. Some new new verbs. Well, they're just like just like uh, 
Just like you, just like you, I learn new horse racing stuff every day. Maybe I could teach you. Yeah, a few, we can trade a few new things. Trade uh, tricks of the trade. Well, anyway, we'll start off with the overs. And if you got got anything to butt in, farmer, just feel free to jump on in here. You're the football guy, man. I'm just go. kind of. We'll, I'm gonna take some notes and listen. We'll start rolling. First on Alabama season total coming in at eleven. You can. Last time I checked, you could get this at even odds. So that means you, you don't have to pay the juice. You get you bet and you get paid back whatever you put down. Alabama eleven. I'm going over. Alabama has lost one conference game in the SEC. I believe it's like five straight years. They've only finished twelve and oh three times. But when you look at their schedule, their non conference. They've got Louisville's their big opponent. They should roll through the non-conference. And when you look at the SEC schedule, they get LSU on the road. It should be a down year for LSU. Their cross-divisional opponents are Mizzou and Tennessee. Mizzou and Tennessee shouldn't challenge them at all. They get Auburn at home. They get Texas A&M at home. They get Mississippi State at home. They get the, th- the three best teams in the SEC West besides them all at home. At worst, I see Alabama 11-1. and I think they're going to go 12-0, and run the table, be undefeated, enter in the SEC championship game. Play the over with Nick Saban in Alabama as they go after another national championship. Next up, we're going to stay in the SEC, go down to Gainesville. Florida comes in at 7.5. Odds are minus 120, so you got to lay down a little. You have to pay some juice here. They're, uh, the, the over odds are pretty high. They kind of looks like Vegas wants you to take the under. But I got Florida over 7.5. Dan Mullen's first year in the swamp. Non-conference, they get Florida State at the end of the season, but the other three games are three games they should solidly win. They're cross-divisional opponents. They get Mississippi State on the road as Mullen returns to Stark Vegas. And then they get LSU at home. Again, a down LSU team in Mississippi State is not uh, the worst team to play on the road. So you got that. And then as their, their schedule goes, they go to Tennessee, but Tennessee should be down this year. They get Georgia, as always, neutral site in Jacksonville, a game I actually think I'm going to go to this year, Farmer. So... I definitely have some stories to that if, I, if that trip goes through, which will be a, I think will be a ball. But they go to Georgia. That's a likely loss, but you never know in that in that series. But after that, you look at the other competent SEC East teams outside of the Andrew. cocktail party. Yeah, Rolls yeah. I got a bu- I got party. a buddy who goes to that every year. Yeah, he says it's awesome. I'm pretty excited about it. Well, anyway, you look at their SEC East opponents, all the competent ones that are kind of on Florida's plane. Because in the East, you got Georgia's the top dog, and then you got. I think four teams right there that are pretty close, and you got Vandy a step behind or two steps behind. They get South Carolina at home, they get Mizzou at home, they get Kentucky at home, they get South. Or that's the three. They get all three of those at home. So the schedule works out for Florida to really make a big splash in Dan Mullen's first year. I see eight or nine wins. Take the over for the Gators. Down in Atlanta, Georgia Tech. Paul Johnson has been there for a while now, running that triple option offense. I believe this is going to be his 12th or 13th year. After a not a strong nine and four season where they beat Kentucky in the Taxler Bowl, they went with a disappointing five and six last year. They played Tennessee in that crazy game to open the season, and then just had a really an up and down season. But Paul Johnson twice has finished with a losing record as Georgia Tech's head coach, and each. The next year, he's at least won two more games in the previous season. So he came back and won eight one year, and he came back and won 11 the other year. So I'm expecting a bounce-back year for Georgia Tech. The, the, the total comes in at 5.5 minus 120. So, again, some juice on it. But you tell me I'm just Georgia Tech just needs to make a bowl, I would go ahead and hammer that. The yellow, play the Yellow Jackets, play the 5.5 over. Heading down to the Lone Star State, we're getting in the American Athletic Conference. The Houston Cougars in Major Applewhite's second season had a little bit of a disappointing 
first year under Apple White after Tom Herman left. However, they have an explosive dual threat quarterback in De'Eric King, and they have a defensive tackle on Ed Oliver, who's likely going to be a top ten pick and is maybe the best defensive lineman in football. So to me, I think they're they're my pick to win that conference. I think they win their division and win the conference championship game. So you're getting it at seven and a half. I would play the over. Uh, the odds are minus one fifteen, so pretty close to even odds. They get Arizona and Texas Tech in the non conference. They go to Texas Tech, get Arizona at home. Uh, but I think they, they should be able to get one of those. And then if, as long as they handle business in conference, they should easily get eight wins. I think they get it somewhere around nine or ten wins on the season. So play the over for the Cougs. And finally, we'll go north into the Big Ten. Jim Harbaugh enters his fourth season. I watched uh, – sorry to interrupt you. I watched All or Nothing Michigan football on Netflix. Have you seen that? Is it on Netflix or like Amazon or something? I think it's on Amazon. Uh, yeah, yeah, Amazon. You're right. You're right. On Amazon. Harbaugh's a nut, man. Yeah. He's awesome. I would love playing for that guy. Yeah, I like I like Harbaugh a lot too. I know he loves football. Uh-huh. I mean, he loves football more than any human I've ever seen. Yeah, I think he's... Maybe John Gruden. I don't know. John Gruden might be the only guy that loves football more than Harbaugh. I'd like to see those two guys coach against each other, be in the same room. He really is a character in me. He, he's a... He's a lightning rod. Anything he says, people just overreact to. Anything. He could go outside and take a shit. It'd be a story on ESPN. <laughs> I mean, he just – anything yeah. go. He gets over a ton of overreactions. And last season, Michigan – He'd be a fun guy to play for. Yeah. Michigan, it was a rebuilding year. They had a, they were playing a bunch of freshmen. They lost like nine or ten starters on defense. So it was looked at as a rebuilding year. Well, the quarterback – Situation uh, went to shit. Michigan had a rough year. They ended up going eight and five. They really didn't beat anybody, any good team, any top twenty-five team they played. They lost to. So a lot of people have been down on Harbaugh, talking down on him. But if we just remember, two years ago they were an inch away from beating Ohio State, and then therefore going to the Big Ten championship game, winning that, and then they would have been in the playoff that year. So they were super close with a, a team loaded with seniors. Now, after a reset year, they're ready to go. They get Shea Patterson in at quarterback. It'll be the most talented quarterback Harbaugh's had in college since Andrew Luck. And their their total sitting at nine in it with even odds. I'm taking the over. The schedule's tough. They open with Notre Dame on the road, but I think they win that one. Then, of course, in the Big Ten, you play nine conference games. They have to go to Ohio State. They have to go to Michigan State, but I think they get at least one of those. And then they get Penn State at home. I think they take care of the Nittany Lions and beat everybody else on that Big Ten slate. I think it's a 10 or 11 win season for Michigan, and I give them a real legit shot at making the college football playoff. So here are our overpicks just to go over them. We've got Bama over 11, Florida over 7.5, Georgia Tech over 5.5, Houston over 7.5, Michigan over 9. How are we doing on time, Farmer? Are we rolling? Yeah, you got plenty of time. Five, five and a half minutes. Okay, now we'll switch over to the unders. Hey, I do want to say uh... – you mentioned uh, Harbaugh at Stanford with um, Andrew Luck, so I got to spend a little time in uh, in like Utah and Southern California, or not, well, Northern California, um, a couple weeks ago, and I got to see uh, two pretty cool co- college football stadiums that uh, I see a lot on TV when I'm you know staying up late watching the West West Coast games. Uh, I was in Provo, Utah. Got to see BYU Stadium, well, which was, is like uh, in the middle of those mountains with yeah. the big Y up on the hill. That was pretty cool. And then we actually uh, drove by Stanford Stadium in Palo Alto. So, yeah, just a little tidbit. You you mentioned uh, 
Harbaugh at Stanford, so reminded me of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely cool to see those. I'd love to watch a game at BYU, those, those man. Landscapes. It was it was when it, I was, was in cool. Atlanta, we flew over and I could see Georgia Tech Stadium, and Georgia Tech Stadium is literally just in the middle of a downtown area. It looks kind of weird. There's no parking lots. It's just nothing. There's just big high rises right by it. It's definitely a lot different than I'm used to going to in the SEC. But uh, we'll move on here. We'll get on these unders. Staying in the SEC, we got Mizzou coming in at seven and a half, minus one ten. The Tigers and Barry Odom's third year. They they've won they won four games this first year, seven games this second year. Um, but the star of that coaching staff was offensive coordinator Josh Heupel, who left in the offseason. Now he's UCF's head coach. So Odom made an intriguing hire, bringing in old Tennessee head coach Derek Dooley in to run the offense. Dooley, of course, uh, was a failed head coach at Tennessee, spent the last few years with the Cowboys. Um, it's hard for me to see Mizzou getting more than seven wins. I put I think their their ceiling's right there at seven. They get Alabama as their, one of their crossovers. They have to go there. And then in the non-conference, they have a tricky game at Purdue. So I would take in a home game against Memphis that, that screams trap game. So take the under on Mizzou. Next, no, we're, we're still rolling in the SEC. Mississippi State coming in at 8.5, minus 110. The Bulldogs and Joel Moorhead's first year have like 19 returning starters. Nick Fitzgerald at quarterback. Um, a loaded defensive line. A defense that put up monster numbers last year. However, he's a first. This is going to be Moorhead's first time, or he's been a head coach before, but an FCS. So his first time head coach. His offense like to throw the ball vertically down the field. That's what Nick Fitzgerald um, does. Uh, the that's one of his biggest weaknesses. And he's coming off a gruesome leg injury. We're not sure how his running ability is going to be. I hope Kentucky has an answer for him this year. That game could get ugly. Yeah, it could. But Kentucky gets him at home. Kentucky gets him in a good spot too. The week before they play Florida, so a little sandwich game right there. So, anyway, they hire a new defensive coordinator, Bob Shoup, who spent the last couple years at Tennessee, who had awful, and I mean awful, run defenses. Everybody ran all over them. So, Mississippi State switching schemes from a 3-4 to a 4-3. So, they got two new schemes on both sides of the ball and just brand new coaching. And playing in the SEC West, I just it's hard for me to see them winning nine, winning nine games. So, 8-4, and 7-5 is more likely to play the under. Tennessee, as we talked about in the past, I'm really low on Tennessee this year, Farmer. They're coming in at five and a half minus one ten. Play the under. I think they lose to West Virginia in the non-conference. That's one. They in their in their cross divisionals. They get Auburn on the road. They get Alabama at home. Loss, loss. I think they lose to Florida. I think they lose to Georgia. They have to go to South Carolina. Uh, best I, at best, I see a four and eight year for Tennessee. I think a three and nine year is very 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 possible. So take the under on the Vols. Now we're going to go out west into Pac-12 country. The Oregon Ducks coming in at 8-5, and a five, eating the odds. I'm taking the under. Quarterback by the name of Justin Herbert is going to be the number one quarterback taken in the draft. They're going to have an improved defense. Really going to have a good team, but they have a tough division. They In, in the Pac-12, they play nine or nine conference games. That in their division, you got Stanford, you got Washington, or two teams ahead of them. Those are going to be tough games for them to win. And then California is an improved team. Washington State usually picks somebody off with Mike Leach. So a tough We're ramping up towards football season. Yes, man. we are. They have to go to Utah, take the under. And finally, Washington State, like I just mentioned, Mike Leach, 6.5 minus 110, hammer the under. They lost a ton off of last year's team. Mike Leach tried to get out of there, tried to get the Tennessee job. I think it's a weird time there in Pullman. I know they got a new athletic director who's not too fond of Leach. He might be on the low-key on the hot seat. 
Um, they had that tragedy where their quarterback committed suicide, their expected starter. Uh, that was really terrible. But six and a half after two nine consecutive nine one seasons, I take I think the Cougars take a step back. So take the under. So those are our picks there. Unders right again. Mizzou, Tennessee, Oregon, Wazoo, and Mississippi State. Overs, Bama, Florida, Georgia Tech, Houston, Michigan. Farmer, it was fun doing this with you, man. We'll got to do it again. Yeah, man. Good to be back. We're going to start doing this regular again. Now everybody's back from vacation and weddings and uh, work uh, obligations, all that stuff. What are we going to talk about next week? We've got about 30 seconds. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll see what pops up. I have really haven't thought. I'm that sure far some people yet. are going to want to know about Kentucky football. Terry touchdown. So uh, yeah, we're definitely going to get up some previews in nationally and both locally. I, we're going to have to figure out the when to do those, but definitely be on the lookout for those for sure. Farmer as the season approaches. All right, at Stake AF, send us something on Twitter. We'll see you next week.